Welcome to Newer Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Lord, as we are taking territory, as we are taking ground, oh God, for the kingdom of God, Lord, we're targets. I've just asked, would you just extend your hand towards me right now? Father, I'm asking in the name of Jesus for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to come and invade my body. Lord, where the enemy has tried to come and take me out. God, I pray in the name of Jesus right now, Lord, for an army of intercessors, oh God, and a wave of prayer, oh God, on behalf of this church. We come against religious spirits. We come against Jezebel spirits of control and manipulation. We come against spiritual attack and all warfare there is trying to suffocate the pneuma out of your church and out of leadership. And God, we declare no weapon formed against us shall prosper in the mighty Name of Jesus. I'm praying, O God, that we would be a unified people. I'm praying, O God, that we would, Lord, know our God, be strong and do mighty exploits. And I'm praying, O God, that we as a church would be strengthened today by your Holy Spirit. I pray for people suffering from unusual fatigue and weariness. And I pray right now, O God, that as we wait upon You, our strength will be renewed. As we look to You, the author and perfecter of our faith, I'm asking, O God, that all fatigue and weariness would just fall away. Father, I rebuke, Lord, those who are suffering from chronic fatigue, those who've been unusually weary, Father, and we are speaking health and we're speaking strength and we speak the energy of heaven into this room right now in the Name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for those who are feeling despondent and discouraged, that Lord, courage would fill every heart. Faith, O God, would rise up in our spirit. And Jesus, You would get all the glory, O God. Lord, we thank You that You are building Your church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I speak to every limitation, every barrier, and every resistance that's coming against Your people to fall away right now in Jesus' Name. And that the Word of the Lord shall prevail over, Lord, natural circumstances. And so God, we honour You and we commit to You this moment. And we thank You that You're for us and You're not against us. And so Jesus, just come. Just come and drink His presence in right now. Just receive of His Spirit right now. Receive of His Spirit. Take a few deep breaths in. Just receive of the numer of heaven. We are above only, we are not beneath. We are the head and we are not the tail. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loves us. You've not received a spirit of fear or timidity, but a power, love and a sound mind. Greater is He who's in you than he that's in the world. No weapon fashioned against you shall prosper. You'll be blessed in your coming in and you'll be blessed in your going out. 
If God be for you, who dare be against you? Come on, you gotta preach to your spirit. You gotta speak to your spirit now. You gotta get your eyes back on the founder and perfecter of your faith. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not be faint. God can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could ever ask, think or imagine according to the power that works in you. You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Come on, you got to prophesy to your spirit. You got to prophesy to your spirit. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It is not by might, it is nor by power, but it is by my Spirit, says the Lord. You've got to put on a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. Worship is a weapon. Don't debate or argue with the enemy of your soul. Just focus on Jesus, lift your hands and worship Him. Some of you have been fighting the enemy. You're more focused on the enemy than you are on Jesus. No, 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 put on a garment of praise. Just like you would your favourite jacket, just put on a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. Lord, right now, all across this room, Lord, we cast aside the spirit of heaviness. We put on a garment of praise. We thank You, O God, that we have the victory in You. I thank You, O Lord, for divine health of every person in this room, including myself, mind, body, and spirit. And I thank You, Father, that You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. I pray that over my brothers and sisters, I pray that over us as a church, over every staff member and leader in this church, the board, the elders, every single one of us, oh God. We thank you for what you're about to do in this room, what you are doing right now. There's a spirit of victory in this room, a breakthrough in this room. Oh God, we just thank you. Come on, thank Him in advance. Thank Him in advance. Thank Him in advance. We just thank you, Lord, for the spirit of victory. I break every demonic spirit that is coming against you, your home, your family, your call, your gift, your dream, your anointing, every demonic spirit that torments you in the night, that has stolen your sleep, that is stealing your energy, every attack of the enemy on your mind, I break off of your life today in the Name of Jesus. And Father, I thank You, O God, that You are here today to do warfare on our behalf. 
All You ask us to do is to stand firm and having done all to stand therefore. Lord, I thank You, O God, as we live a life in alignment with the armour of God. We exercise the sword of the Spirit. We pray in the Spirit on all occasions and we declare greater is He who's in us than he that's coming against us than he that's in the spirit of the world. I pray, O God, that we would live each day knowing we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us and has called us according to His purpose. And Father, today, I thank You, O God, that no matter what we feel like, no matter what's coming against us, Your Word will not return void. It will accomplish what You send it out to perform. And I'm asking today, Lord God, that our soul, our bodies and our spirits would come into agreement with the truth of Your Word. We declare yes and amen over every promise, those that have not been manifest in our lives, those prophecies that we're still waging a good warfare. Thank You, O God, they will be fulfilled in the land of the living. They will be fulfilled. I declare over you today, you're gonna see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. If it isn't good yet, God's not done yet. You're gonna see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It changes today. Something stops, something starts, something changes today. And so if you agree with that, just lift your hands one more time. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Lord. God, we thank You for Your peace that floods our being. Your peace, it's tangible. Peace that guards our hearts and our minds. Whatever the enemy has meant for evil, you're turning into good today. And we thank You for this truth. We love You and we honour You. In the mighty Name of Jesus, everybody said, come on, let's put our hands together one more time. You may be seated. Now we're having church. Now that's church. Thank You, Jesus. You know what you've just experienced here right now, you can practice this at home. You don't need to have a keyboard and a band behind you. You just gotta, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling tired, just lift your hands and just begin to declare the praises of God. I want you to go with me to Isaiah chapter two, verse one. Isaiah two, verse one. Uh, This is, a powerful word, a fascinating word, an unusual word. I've never preached from this passage before, read it many times. Um, I'm gonna read from verse one to verse nine. And, uh, but God spoke to me out of it yesterday and I was wrestling last night, early this morning. I'm not sure, Lord, this is what you want me to speak. How many know, just go with the ghost, go with the Holy Spirit, trust the Lord. And I know God's speaking something today. Isaiah 2 verse 1 to 9 says, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Notice he saw the word, he didn't hear it. 
Sometimes you'll see things before you hear it. Sometimes you'll feel things or you'll sense things before you, you, you actually even see it. All right? Um, and it shall come to pass, verse 2, in the latter days, speaking of the last days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. What's that about? Weapons of war will become tools for the garden. There's coming a day at the consummation of the age when weapons of warfare will be translated and turned into tools for gardening. Why? Because the Lord is restoring Eden, the fullness of the consummation of the kingdom of God, to His people. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, verse five, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Verse six, for you have rejected your people. So the first five verses is about a prophetic picture of the future, particularly Israel and now us, the church. Verse six onwards to the end of uh, chapter two, verse 22, is about the actual reality of Israel and sadly, unfortunately, some of the church. But verse six says, for you've rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east <clears throat> and of fortune tellers like the Philistines and they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols they bow down to the work of their hands, to what their, their own fingers have made. So man is humbled and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. I want to speak to you today on this idea, the bride of Christ or the bride of Frankenstein. The bride of Christ or the bride of Frankenstein. Now, the last few years been challenging years for the world, uh, particularly for us here in Victoria and Melbourne. Uh, COVID was a very difficult and trying time. And um, some businesses came out better than others. Some people came out better than others, but many people struggled and wrestled. One of the challenges of COVID is that many believers or people that were connected to the local church actually opted out of gathering together with the local church and made decisions that they were no longer going to attend church. And wherever I go across the body of Christ, I encounter stories, I meet people who have all sorts of unique views about the importance and role of the local church. And there's this alarming trend of people who once used to gather in this context and forum who have actually decided that they're leaving the church and they think that they can 
follow Jesus on their own terms without celebrating the assembling or gathering together of God's people. I, was, I met a couple a few weeks back who introduced themselves and said to me, you know, we don't belong to any church. Uh, we don't really attend the established church anymore. We just visit um, as the Holy Spirit leads, but we essentially do church and life at home. And it all sounds really great. And how many of us know we live in a world that's deconstructing everything? I mean, even when it comes to nutrition, there's deconstructed burgers, there's, everything's deconstructed, right? And you can get deconstructed this and deconstructed that. We've got to be careful that we don't deconstruct what Jesus constructed 2,000 years ago to the point that we make this idea of church after our image rather than God's. Hebrews 10, 25 says this, Do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. If we're not careful, we can actually drift away from what it is that we know to be true, and we can begin to follow Jesus on our terms and become independent rather than interdependent to the body of Christ You and I need each other. I need you to speak into my life and you need me to speak into yours. One of the reasons why you'll never hear the fullness of God's counsel for your own life is because God did not make you to be an isolated island and independent of other members of the body of Christ. I asked the Lord one time, why is it that I can hear clearly for others but not always for myself? And he said, because if you could get your own self-revelation, why would you need the other members or parts of the body of Christ? You can receive revelation from the Spirit, but we know in part, we prophesy in part, we need the other parts of the body to help fill in the gaps for us. I'm stronger because of your voice in my life. And you're stronger because of my voice and the leader's voices in the church and If you're a part of a life group, that life group leader's voice, we need brothers and sisters in Christ speaking into our lives. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And we've got to be careful. Hebrews 2.1 says, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus said, in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. It's a good thing to be reminded of fundamental truths lest we drift away from it. And we're gonna make a commitment in our lives and in our culture and in this generation where anything goes and we um, create truth based upon relative to our feelings and our circumstances. We're gonna make sure that we're coming back into alignment with the truth of God's Word as our foundation, and that becomes the plumb line, and that becomes the rudder that aligns us and defines how we approach our lives. We've also got to be careful about how we speak about Christ's church. You know, the way some believers talk about the church, it does sound more like the bride of Frankenstein than the bride of Christ. And I often think to myself, if, you know... um, someone was to talk about 
your bride, if you're married or your spouse, the way that believers talk about the bride of Christ, how many of us know you might get a little bit upset? And Jesus is jealous for his church. And Ephesians 5.25 tells us that Christ died for the church and gave himself up for her. He didn't just come to seek and save the lost, but to actually add the lost into his church. That lost being found and discipled is about gathering uh, his people into his church. And so we need to understand that the church is God's idea. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we have got to reclaim a biblical worldview of the church. We have got to see the church as God sees it. Not according to the lens that may have been distorted because of our church experience. Now, in Isaiah 2 verse 1, we read about an encounter that Isaiah has with God where he sees the Word. The first part of Isaiah 2 is a prophetic word about not just Israel, particularly the southern kingdom, Judah and Jerusalem, but all of Israel, and it also is a prophetic picture for the last day's church. The second part of Isaiah 2 is about the actual current reality at that time of Judah and Jerusalem and its rejection of God and the challenges and issues that were in Israel. But also it's a type of picture, sadly, of some of the actual reality of the body of Christ today. And there are things and lessons and insights in this that we need to heed and pay attention to if we are going to have a biblical, healthy view of the local church. You see, if we're going to have a healthy view of Christ's church, we need to see it through the lens of God's Word, not through the lens of our broken experiences. Now, how many know God's Word is revealed in many forms? God speaks to us lots of different ways. The primary way that God speaks to us is through His Logos Word. And no matter what God shows you, prophetically, visions, dreams, or what you hear, it will not counter the principle of truth and wisdom found in the Logos written Word. The Logos Word, line upon line, precept upon precept, is our foundation. And the Word of God is actually to point us into an encounter with the person with the author of the Word. And so you may not, you know, find a verse and chapter for where you are to live or what university course to study or who to marry, but there will always be truths and principles of wisdom that the rudder and alignment, the plumb line of God's Word that will align and direct and order your steps. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So we read in the Bible where Samuel, in 1 Samuel 2, he heard the word. Isaiah here in Isaiah 2, he saw the word. The Ethiopian eunuch in the Gospels read the word. Whether it's reading, whether it's seeing, whether it's hearing, God's word comes to us in many forms. 
and it shapes a worldview. Now, worldview is really important. All of us have a worldview that's been shaped by our family of origin, by our healthy experiences in life, by our broken experiences in life. Your worldview is the lens through which you view the world. It's like a set of metaphorical glasses that you look through at the world. And what can often happen is, is that our worldview of the church can be shaped by distortion and broken experiences rather than the truth of God's Word. So for some people, their view of the church is shaped by disappointment. And they go through disappointing experiences and they're taken advantage of maybe or they're hurt or something happens with leadership or something goes on and it really causes much pain. And so they disconnect or distance themselves. They may be a part of a church, but they're, uh, they're, they're, they're passive uh, and they're, they're physically present, but they're emotionally and spiritually absent and they may never really super connect into the life of the church because they don't wanna get hurt again or be disappointed again. I get that. How many of us know if you hung around church for any length of time, you're gonna face some disappointment? It's gonna be some pain. There's gonna be some hurt. It's sort of like, let's grab a ticket, get in line. We've all been there, all right? And that's not to diminish the pain and the hurt and disappointment you've been through, but it's a reality. Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna have tribulation but take heart, I've overcome the world. And when we come into the church, because it's Christ's bride, we want it to be perfect and and, and yet then when we show up with all of our stuff and we're being sanctified and then even the the, the pastor and preacher is being sanctified, shock horror, and, and we're all on this journey of learning and growth and being healed and becoming more like Jesus, sometimes stuff happens and goes down and real pain, real disappointment can shape how we approach church life. Um, For some people, offence is their worldview, their lens. They got offended somewhere, something they were expecting, hoping for, didn't happen, and uh, they got offended at something said, and now the church is painted with this broad brushstroke, and now offence becomes the worldview, the lens of the local church. For others, gossip amongst churches shapes how people view church. And, uh, you know, I heard that church down there, they did this. And I heard that church down there, they did that. And did you know that Pastor Corey did this? Oh, it's so much worse than what you think. And, 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 and gossip can actually shape how we view the church. Even worse, relying on the media to shape our view of the local church. And uh, we've been through a season here in Australia where you know, particular churches have been really highlighted and leaders have been highlighted. And if we're not careful, we can sort of take the worldview of media, the spirit of the world, who doesn't understand giving through tithes and offerings, doesn't understand the role of fivefold ascension gift ministries. And in some cases, there might be legitimate issues and challenges. But if we allow social media or news media or Netflix media to shape our view of the church, we could get it really wrong. Can I encourage us, rather than letting pain and disappointment and offence shape our view of the church, can I encourage us to get healing for those things? And to realise that it's actually not the church as Christ intended, but I would rather be a part 
of the solution rather than just highlighting the problem. Okay? And we're going to be careful that we don't allow Dr. Google and the internet and, you know, 10 videos on YouTube about why tithing's not for today shape our view of the local church. Can we just talk real today? Seriously. Because if we're allowing, allowing YouTube and social media and even a gazillion, a million podcasts to shape all of our thinking rather than the Word of God, we're going to get unstuck and we're going to get confused and we're going to project onto the church something that's actually not there. What does the Bible say about what the church is? Well, in 1 Corinthians 12 verse uh, 2, it says that the church is the body of Christ. We read in Revelation 19.7 that the church is likened to the bride of Christ. A pure, beautiful, glorious and spotless bride. In 1 Corinthians 3.9, the church is likened to a building with structures and foundations. In 2 Corinthians 6.18, it's likened to a family. That we are called to be a part of a family. I praise God for spiritual grandparents and spiritual parents, aunties and uncles, mums and dads, sons and daughters, cousins, brothers and sisters in faith. What a privilege it is to be a part of a covenant family. This is part of the power of being in a local church. What else is the church? The church, Ephesians 2.21 tells us, is the dwelling place of God's presence. Literally, together, not just individually, but more collectively, together, we are the hosts of God's presence. We're the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. We're being built together into the house of God where God dwells. There is something powerful about us coming together. I praise God for for meeting with Him in my devotions, reading the Scriptures, prayer, journaling, listening to teaching on podcasts, reading good Christian books. All of these things are helpful, but there is nothing like the gathering of God's people coming together. I mean, no one can refute the dynamic of the power of the presence of God in the last few moments that we've celebrated together. As we come together, something in you feels strengthened because of what God is doing collectively and corporately in our midst. And so we've got to understand the power of what it means to be a part of the dwelling place of God. Not only that, but Ephesians 6, 10, 18, the church is the army of God. You and I are on a mission. We've been enlisted. We've been recruited. We are soldiers in God's army. All of these metaphors are relevant to us. 1 Peter 2, 5, the church is a holy priesthood, a chosen nation. We are the new ethnic in the earth, according to Galatians. There is Jew, there is Gentile, and there is the church of Jesus Christ. It covers all nationalities, all people groups. God is raising up a new ethnic, a new nation, a new people group in the earth that just as Israel was, so too His church shall be to represent Him in the earth. This is all in the Word of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 3, that we are likened to a flock of sheep. Now, of all the metaphors, you know, can't it be like a herd of lions? 
but we're a flock of sheep because sometimes we do need to be shepherded and we do need to be protected and we need to be corrected and we need that rod to come and steer us away from darkness and into light. All of these images and metaphors are who the church is and what God intends the church to be. And what can happen is if we allow our own experiences or external media sources to actually inform our view of the church, we can get a distorted view from God's original intention. If we want biblical results in our lives and in our generation, we've got to come back to the biblical pattern, the biblical intentions of what God has intended for us. And according to Isaiah, God intends His last day's church to be visible and attractive to the world. I don't know about you, I find Jesus incredibly attractive. People flocked to Him. Religious people were repelled. With Jesus, you either loved him or you didn't like him. You either were attracted to him or repelled. Church is not meant to be vanilla or beige. It's meant to be colourful and dynamic. It's meant to be rich and attractive in personality and in spirit. And it's for all ages, all sizes, all genders and all personalities. All colours, all people groups. This passage says in verse 2, It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Now, mythologically, Mountains represent the homes of the gods. Historically, Mount Zion was God's dwelling place. Geographically, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is elevated above the other hills and mountains around about it. Eschatologically, which speaks of end times, the church is to be the highest spiritual mountain of influence. And so we're going to ask, if all the nations flow to the church in the last days. How is that even possible? Because I began to think about this in the natural. How does a stream flow upwards to a mountaintop? I'm not the most, you know, um, agriculturally inclined. But this much I know. Streams of water flow down from mountaintops. They don't flow up. And yet this text says that the church will be so visible, so attractive, the highest of the mountains, that all the streams of the nations shall flow to it. How is that possible? Well, Luke 18, 27 says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. This implies a supernatural magnetism to the church that defies logic It defies understanding because I don't know if you've ever stopped to ponder or consider, but someone who's in full-time ministry, I've wrestled and pondered this from time to time that we have been given the task and the mandate to somehow make disciples of people and convince them of something they don't want to be convinced of and help them transform into something they don't want to change into Because the default and DNA of our sinful nature is me, myself, and I. 
the trinity of Satan, me, myself, and I, and we've been given the impossible task of actually trying to help people to see the, the truth of the gospel, the error of their ways. It is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Zechariah 4, 6, even in the rebuilding of the temple, it says it's not by your might, it's not by your power, but it's by the Spirit of God. Jesus is building His church through His people by the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way that people, the nation, shall flow upwards to the highest mountain in the last days being the church is of a supernatural magnetism of the work of the Spirit of God in your life and my life. I know when I read the Gospels and I read about Jesus, there was this holy magnetism about His life. The outcasts, tax collectors, prostitutes, people who were, who were treated poorly with disrespect, the lepers, the sinners were drawn and attracted to Jesus. Those who were thirsty, hungry, those who were searching for truth were drawn to the presence of Jesus. I wanna live so closely in my relationship with the Lord. I, I, I wanna follow Him and honour Him in such a way that the world is jealous for my relationship with Jesus. Live in such a way that the world goes, wow, I wish I had that. I wish I had that peace. I wish I had that faith to believe in that. Live in such a way that the world says, oh, I wanna go against the stream. I wanna run against the broad path where many are on that path that leads to destruction and death. And I wanna go upwards against the stream to the narrow gate and the narrow path that leads to life. This is a picture of the last day's church. And the prophet Isaiah says, though people are drawn supernaturally, they will come voluntarily into the church. The Bible says in verse three, and many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Why would people who don't want to be convinced of it have such a desire to go up to the house of the Lord? I'll tell you why. Because deep in the heart of every single person is this God shape of eternity that is hungering and thirsting for truth. And we can try all we want to make truth after our image and relative to our circumstances, to our feelings and to our lives. But at the end of the day, every single one of us have an inbuilt thirst and hunger in our heart. And Jesus says, if you drink of this water, being the natural things of this world, you will thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I will give him, it will well up within you a spring unto eternal life. There's only one fountainhead that will satisfy the thirst and the cry of your heart. And it's the fountainhead of Jesus, his presence. And people are so hungry and thirsty for truth that even they'll join cults and be a part of deceptive teachings because deception is truth mixed in with error and they'll embrace all manner of bizarre and weird 
life practices in order for something to satisfy the cry that's within their heart. But I'm telling you today, we have a reason for the hope that we have. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. People are more ready than what we realise. Our students at our School of the Spirit on a Thursday morning go out and witness on the streets, engage in the community. And a couple of our students went out recently and were um, sharing the gospel on the streets. And there was a young Asian lady who they started to share faith with, but because of translation difficulties, she was a Chinese student, found it difficult. Another young Asian man was walking by and saw the difficulty of the situation and offered to translate for this person, not necessarily attending our church or anything, not known before, and so he began to translate. By the end of the gospel presentation, this young lady was uh, crying and gave her heart to the Lord and actually made a decision to follow Jesus. And after they prayed, they looked at the man who was translating and he was weeping. And they said, do you want to give your heart to Jesus as well? And he said, yes, I do. And he gave his heart to the Lord. He may be here today. And so what's happening is, is that when people hear the gospel in its purity and in its power, will there be some who reject it? Absolutely. And Jesus said, love them, pray for them, but shake the dust off your feet and go to the next one. Don't, don't mull over the fact our hearts can be grieved, but not everyone is going to accept it. Yeah. All right? And we love them and we honour them, but go to the one who is receptive. Yeah. Find the person of peace in your workplace. Relate to the person of peace in your family, in your neighbourhood. They're the ones who are receptive. People are more ready than what we realise. Romans 10 says, how will they hear if someone doesn't preach to them? One of the greatest misnomers that has has really, you know, not been helpful to the Christian faith is St. Francis of Assisi when he says, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. That's not what Romans teaches. Of course, the gospel and our relationship with God needs to be self-evident in our actions. But actually, God has given us mouths to speak and the gospel to preach because people need to hear of the reason of the hope that we have. And there needs to be a witness in our spirits and in our hearts of what God has done in our own uh, lives. And so we need to be a church and a people that are teaching the ways of God so people can walk in the paths of God. When the ways of God are taught in a healthy manner and accurately, people can walk in the paths of God. What does Psalm 86.11 says? Teach me your ways, O God, that I may walk in your truth. It's our obedience to the Lord and to His Word that will bring transformation to the world. The Bible says in verse four, he being God shall judge between the nations. He shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. It's a picture of the consummation of the age. It's a picture of the lordship of God over our lives. You know, we've been in a season as a body of Christ where things that have been hidden, things that have not been holy or pure have been revealed 
for what they are. We're in a season where all the chess pieces on the chessboard, so to speak, are moving around. And God is the one, Psalm 75, who pulls down one and lifts up another. God, when he, in relationship with Israel, was very focused and intentional about not being misrepresented by his people. In fact, he would go to Israel and, and say to Moses, let me smite them so I may start again with you. And Moses would contend, oh Lord, these are your people. All right, why? Because God takes this issue of representation really seriously. And you and I are called to be a living witness, a representation of the kingdom of God on earth. And that's why while the church often is judging the world, 1 Peter 4.17 says judgment must begin with the household of God. Is that there are things that we have got to repent of and we've got to ask for forgiveness of and humble ourselves and align with the Lordship of Jesus because there's a fundamental difference between following Jesus as Saviour and following Jesus as Lord. And you've heard me talk about this many times, but, but it's, it, it's sort of convenient for us to follow Jesus as a person who saves us from our sin and our problems, but then choose, self-select, not to follow Jesus when it comes to his lordship over our decisions, our relationships, our sexuality, how we handle finances. Jesus isn't just our saviour from our sin. He is Lord of all creation. He's Lord over heavens and earth. And you've heard me say it before, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And this journey of sanctification and following Jesus is this progressive journey of coming under and into the Lordship of Jesus and understanding its thorough, full effect and work in our lives. That Lordship brings us into wholeness. It brings us into understanding what the Lord is calling us to. And we are, as we come into progressive Lordship of Jesus, we understand that, that we become like Him. As we behold Him, we become like Him. In Acts 4.13, they recognised that Peter and John had been with Jesus. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. There was a recognition. Oh, I see the nature of Jesus in them because they had been with the Lord. They'd been with the Master. As we come under the Lordship of Jesus, we become more like Him. And we start to make decisions that we're not going to look at this and we're not gonna talk that way and we're not gonna do this and we are gonna do this and we are gonna gather together, not because it's legalism or it's even duty, but because it's out of our heart of a covenant of love with God, out of a delight in our spirit because we have found the, the, the Lordship and lover of our soul being Jesus Christ. And once you've tasted and seen that He is good, you can't go back to, to, to drinking the dirty water of the world. Is this helping anyone today? And this picture speaks of what was intended for war now becomes tools for harvest. And so things that were used for conflict are now things that are used for peacemaking. It's a picture of what the church is called to and what we're gonna walk into in the coming days. And the only way for us to overcome the darkness that is in our world is for the church to walk in the light. Right. 
And this is the exhortation from the prophet Isaiah, verse five, O house of Jacob, which is a picture of the church. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. What does light represent? It represents God's favour. Light represents grace. It represents illumination. It represents truth. It represents the presence of God. You and I are called to walk in the light of God's presence, His truth, His grace, His favour. The entrance of your word brings light. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We, we, we are committed to hosting the presence of God here at Numa more than entertaining consumers because at the end of the day, it's the light of His presence that transforms us and changes us. We obviously want to create a space for people to come and gather together and worship, but we need to be more concerned about the presence of God than about are we satisfying the palate of the customers. Hello, somebody. Are we actually honouring the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Are we actually living in the light of the gospel and of who He is? What does John, John 1, 4 and 5 say? In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If you find yourself in a workplace that's incredibly spiritually dark, you've got to remind yourself every day, the light of life lives inside of me. If you find yourself walking through the valley of the shadow of death and darkness, can I encourage you, keep walking through it and come out the other side. Why? Because the light of life lives inside of you. You carry light. You're a light bearer. You're an image bearer. You're a torch bearer. And the only way that the church can actually fulfill all of these things is if we walk in the light. If we are children of the light, let's walk as children of the light. And the things in verse 6 to 21 that could ruin or delay this eventual prophecy from coming to pass, because how many of us know whether it's now or a hundred years or a thousand years, it's coming to pass before Jesus returns. That's coming to pass. What could delay that? Firstly, our conformity to the world. We're not to live conformed, but to live transformed by the renewing of our mind. Israel was living in conformity. Fortune tellers, sidekicks, um, making idols out of the things of the world. And so, um, seeking or worshipping man-made gods, things that we've created after our image. When the church starts to worship itself rather than point people to Jesus, we delay the fulfilment of this prophecy in the church. We're gonna be careful about the songs we sing and the exaltation of all of these wonderful lights, camera, and action. All of these things are means to an end. It's not about all this. It's about Jesus and people's lives being transformed. All of these things just facilitate an experience, an encounter, minister to people. Israel were worshiping man-made gods. Israel were trusting in worldly securities. When we as the church look to people and to finance and do things for our security rather than security in Jesus, we've lost our way. And so part of my role, part of our role as a community of faith 
is to encourage each other, sharpen each other, to stay focused on God's idea of what the church should be. Jesus is coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. We belong to the bride of Christ, not the bride of Frankenstein. And I want to encourage us to get a new confession in our mouths about the church of Jesus Christ. And when things come on media or you hear something about this church, even in the years to come as we grow and expand, that you would actually begin to believe the best, pray for your church, pray for the wider body of Christ. When I hear of breakdowns and scandals in the wider body, I don't point the finger and go, I thought so, I knew that was going on. No, I actually get on my knees and my heart is broken. And I say, God, when they're impacted, we're all impacted. And we have got to, in this time and in this day, we've got to close ranks and we've got to not close ranks to the world, but we've got to actually come alongside, stand in rank and file and say, you know what? We're going to contend for what Jesus contended for. We're not going to drift away. We're not going to simply accept the report card of the world about the church. But we're going to contend for the faith that God has called us to. And we are going to look at the lens of the church through the filter of God's word and say, you know what? We want biblical results, so let's get back to biblical patterns. Let's get back to the worldview of what Jesus said. And from Genesis to Revelation, the church of Jesus Christ has been prophesied about, it's been spoken to, it's been given a pattern and a blueprint of, And you and I have the privilege of being a part of it. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. We pray that you have been blessed by today's message. Please follow us on our social media platforms and visit our website, numa.church.